0: I, the thing with Zoom, um so I'm not a technical guy neither ordinarily, but ever since the lockdown, everybody's talking about like, I mean, there's a lot of different apps, right? Zoom's one of them, and um yeah. I guess there's something to do with like the the servers and the towers, and apparently, it's less filtered than Skype or some of the other ones, so the quality's supposed to be better. And I'm like, whatever. If it yeah. I'm just trying to flow with the stream, whatever sounds better,
1: right? Yeah, man. I mean, it's all the same to me. Just right. a little bit to take it take that's, it in. But.
0: That's right. So how you been? Holy sm- it has been a hot minute since we talked. Like at least I think we might have talked 2017, even or 2017. Hey, it's
1: been about it's, it's been, been about three years. Yeah.
0: yeah. to yeah. say to say the least, a lot of shit's changed, my friend. I don't even know where to start to catch up.
1: Yeah, dude, it's been a long road for me. I think that 2017 was probably the last time I had a decent competition. So you haven't missed (laughs) missed much.
0: We caught you at the right time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's been downhill ever since.
0: Well, let's talk about a bit of that because perhaps in terms of like competition, it might have been like that. 2017 was was the last big one, but in terms of what's going on, I mean, you've lived through some shit. You, yeah.
1: got, you know, you've,
0: you've been around the block, so to speak, for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. It's been, a, it's been quite a road, but, you know, like, uh, with everything that's happened, it's kind of taken me off the path of competing and kind of shifted me into the, the position of, like, business owner and coach, and now starting to focus my energy more on other athletes. So let's it's let's, been a transition, but it's been good.
0: Let's talk about – okay, so what took you off this path? For anyone listening who doesn't know – um you've dealt with like health issues injuries let's let's talk a bit about that so what happened you were first you were so, flying high smashing crazy numbers
1: last yeah year. but i i was you know like i first started competing in every competition i would get a little bit better i was kind of fresh to the sport in 2015 and uh was building up my total pretty good and just like i, I had my best meet with in 2017 I hit a uh, a 21.78 total in wraps. And, but during that competition was the first time I ever noticed, like, I had a real bad, like, energy deficit. It was like I, I, I was convincing myself that it was due to um, cutting water. And I was like, oh, you know, I just cut water. I'm tired. At the end of the meet, I felt really fatigued. But it was the first time I noticed any issues. And then since then, every meet I did, like, the prep would go okay, and I would put up decent numbers in my in my training. Like, I was still hitting PRs. My strength was getting up, but I couldn't put it together in, in a meet. And, uh, um, you know, come to find out, I, I was dealing with some kidney issues and didn't really realize it. So, like, my tendons and my joints were getting dehydrated. I was holding water in the wrong places. And then eventually it led to um, – Last year, November 2019, was the last meet I, I got into, and I ended up hitting a PR squat of 804, but going into the bench, it was like the best my bench ever felt. Um, I, I took my opener at 551, it, it went up real easy, I jumped to 600, and then I tore my pec. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was a muscle belly tear and not a, a, a tendon tear, so no surgery needed. So that was really like the beginning of the end for, for powerlifting for me. Um, after that, I was March. So, I mean, maybe five or six months later. So, just still dealing with it on a daily basis with my workouts. The pec didn't feel great, but I was able to squat and deadlift. And then during a training exercise in uh, my gym now, I tore my quad tendon. So that, re- that required surgery. So I was still dealing with the pec injury. Now I got the quad there. And then three months through my rehab with my quad, I'm back in the hospital, and I got diagnosed with stage five kidney failure. And then they, I was in the hospital for seven days, and that's when they told me I was going to need a transplant.
0: Holy so, shit. Now let's hang on, because I don't want to speed past too much. It, Just so anyone who knows. So first off, all right. People can maybe wrap their head around pec tear. People might, might even be able to wrap their head around quad tear requiring surgery. Not many though, but all right, that's some scary shit. But people are probably like, okay, you're a young guy. You could come back. But stage five kidney failure, talk to me here. What does that mean? What does stage five mean for a kidney failure? And, And what exactly are we looking at?
1: So they base it based on the percentage of a kidney function. So anything under twenty percent function is classified as stage five. That's so the worst, then, would, right? What's up? That's the worst then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anything in stage five, you're gonna need a transplant. Like oh, you sh- can, you can stay stage five, and the, you know that's when they start recommending dialysis. And uh, it was. You know like I, it was it was news to me because I, I didn't never knew I had any issues with it like looking back there was definitely some telltale signs but um, what, what brought me into the hospital was my blood pressure like my blood pressure was shot up to like 260 over 140 and then I was in a, a minute clinic because I thought I had bronchitis and they're like you don't have bronchitis your organs are shutting down and you're starting to fill up with water like Holy so I was like retaining all this water yeah I was like coughing up blood and couldn't breathe. And uh, that's when uh, they they brought me to the hospital. They put me on uh, some kind of uh, uh, IV to bring my blood pressure down. They wouldn't take me off of it because they are like, you know, you could have a stroke or a heart attack at any time. So that that was when, like, the realization to me came, like, all right, like, lifestyle changes need to be made, and you just can't, you know, kind of puts things in perspective for you.
0: When you're hearing this, like, they're talking, like, 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 how old are you, Steve?
1: Uh, it, I'm 34.
0: So you were far too young to be experiencing a doctor coming in here telling you kidneys are shutting down, the organs Look, are shutting dude, down.
1: Dude, the, the the two days I was in the, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. They made me sign a last will and testament. And basically, was like, there's a possibility you might die. Dude, uh, how
0: I can't. So this so when you're hearing this, and you're in there, yeah. and they're like you hear a doctor. And they're like, I don't know what's happening to your body, I, but we just what we do know is you might not live. I need you to sign this document, your last right. will and testament. At your age, and you're looking at your family, like what is going through your head at this point? Where and and your family and whoever's around you.
1: Well, I mean, to me, it was like a, it was like a, you go in shock, man. And I, I don't really deal with those situations. Like I'm not an emotional guy. I just kind of go numb. So I'm like, okay, like what are we dealing with here? And uh, they're asking me all these questions like did you have any symptoms I'm like dude I was you know I was in the gym bench pressing 3 days ago and I felt fine like I the, the biggest thing to me was I felt tired all the time but I just accredited that to like just having knee surgery they put me on some drugs like I was taking ibuprofen every day yeah. and uh, you know I didn't I didn't feel great but I wasn't like I didn't feel like I was fucking dying you know so like yeah. to hear that news kind of floored me but you know it just makes you put things in perspective you know so I'm sitting there dealing with this and just kind of realizing like you know what like what do I need to do to better myself or like what is the next steps because like to me the fact like you you can be told that you might die but it's not like you you don't accept it you know what I'm saying like you kind of go numb to the information and I bet doctors tell me shit before, and it's not—they're never 100 percent accurate. So right. it was definitely like a holy shit moment, but it wasn't like I was—I was sitting there like writing people notes, telling them how much I love to miss them, and I'm going to be gone. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't the—it wasn't the end for me.
0: But when when you're, you know, when you're signing that form and it's your will and testament, it's got to be. You know, you must have. You, it's all you must have had to have shut off almost to to comp, to deal with what you're dealing with, you know, and to be like, especially if if they tell you we don't know why and we don't know right. what's going on. That's kind of right.
1: scary. Yeah, I mean, that was that was the biggest thing. Is like, you know, there's a possibility that they might not be able to fix whatever's going on, and I might die. And you know, it was definitely uh, hard to deal with. But I don't. I like I've always had the mentality that like. Th- those things are going to happen. You're not really in control of those things, so you just got to accept it, you know? And, like, I knew the risks of what I was doing when I did it, and if, if that was the end, then, you know, that was it for me. So not much I could have done.
0: And what did they say, like, why was this happening that you were going to die?
1: Was, well, was... so it, the, the biggest issue was the blood pressure, but then they were they couldn't figure out how to lower it, and then there was also, like, uh, congestive heart failure and like my other organs were starting to shut down because like my blood viscosity got so thick it was like trying to pump maple syrup throughout my body and oh, one shit. of the th- one of the things the doctor told me was like if you weren't an athlete your whole life you'd already be dead like they they've never seen anybody with that high of blood pressure walk into an ER like they're like you- most people have a fucking tube coming out of their head because they're in a coma so um it, it was definitely, like, one of those things that, like, you know, you don't see coming, but you just got to adapt, man. And, like, for me, it was more about uh, trying to figure out, like, a, you, you know, you always ask those questions, like, why me? And, like, feel, get down on yourself. But, I, I you know, I've been through a lot before football got taken away from me from surgeries. Like, injuries are nothing new to me. So, like, dealing with one more thing is just it's just something that I got to go through.
0: Mm. so when you when it was happening and friends and family were asking you how you're
1: doing did you mention that i didn't you... tell anybody dude i was in the hospital like nobody really knew you know, i was uh, my girlfriend came to see me but like i didn't i didn't reach out to a lot of people and tell them because i didn't know what to tell them you know they were yeah. doing all these sets of me it wasn't until day three that they did a kidney biopsy because it was like I, I was dealing with a team of doctors some were convinced it was my heart some were convinced it was my kidney some thought it was, like, some other weird shit, but, like, some of my kidney tests were coming back, and they weren't showing, like, kidney failure. Like, all my uh, values were okay, like, uh, the, the, the biggest thing is creatinine levels were super high, but they're like, that's not really uncommon for someone your size that works out. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but then after the kidney biopsy, they were able to see that I had what's called FSGS, and it's, like, scarring of the kidneys and it's like an autoimmune disorder, so it was something that was like, you already have genetic predisposition to, and it was harder for them to figure out.
0: Mm. And then, so then the procedure after that was a kidney transplant?
1: I haven't had that yet.
0: Okay, so where are we along this line then? Is it um like you're waiting for a trend are you okay now then like you're you're stable no i
1: mean dude i'm still stage five and i gotta take a shit ton of medication every day so like what's your definition of okay you
0: know yeah i'm
1: I'm alive and like i i'm still able to do certain things but dude it's it's tough man i deal with chronic fatigue i deal with swelling i deal with nausea like there's a lot of side effects that i deal with on a daily basis but um, my kidney function when I was in the hospital was down to 6%, and then after rebounding and they let me out, I changed my diet around, I was like, got more um, proactive with the, the therapy, I started supplementing with like dandelion root and astrologus, like it brought my kidney function back up to 12, and I'm not on dialysis currently, but it's like a touch and go basis, you know, like it's not if the things are going to happen, it's when it's going to happen, so And when you say
0: things, what do you mean by things?
1: uh, It's it's, it's a degenerative disease, man. Like my kidneys are going to get worse and worse no matter what I do. So I'm going to need a transplant. And most likely if I don't find a transplant fast enough, I'm going to end up on dialysis. And Mm -hmm. the biggest reason I want to stay off dialysis is just like, you know, as you know, like I opened up a gym last year and it's a, it's a really hands on deck process. So, I don't really have three days a week five hours a shot to sit on a a machine transfusing blood but you know if it's going to save my life I'll do it and like I got to find a way and that was like part of the reason that Garrett Fear got brought onto the team over at Indy City Barbell was for someone to help me out while I was going through this.
0: And um, so we'll talk about that in one one shake because that's a whole another trip in terms of what (laughs) happened to businesses and and you know teaming up with Garrett the whole time right but yeah, um right. before we get there so at, in terms of the kidney transplant you just have to wait for a donor how does that work yeah, i mean they, they don't or... they,
1: they, you get put on a list and like you can have people test to see if they could be a living donor for you but to get a donor through the state like they don't they don't tell you man they're not going to let you know like hey, this 22-year-old kid's going to die next week, so get ready for a kidney. It's like, right. when you get the call, you get the call. And there are certain things that allow you to be higher on the list, like me being a younger guy and being a contributor here in Indianapolis, owning a business, things like that. Like, it, it makes me a little bit more of a priority than somebody else, which, like, I don't really know how you judge life, but, you know, like, I'll, 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 I'll be happy to take it when I get the call, but they're not gonna let you know, they don't tell you much.
0: It's, it's, it's probably, you know, if somebody's 82 years old and um, there could be a million reasons that, can, that they could pass away within the year, they're getting passed up for yourself, who's a young man and, and, and still like, you know, got another possibly 50 years to catch up, right? So you can kind of see where things like that might, and relatively speaking with everything else, you'd be healthy. So yeah. we replace this, he's on his feet. Whereas yeah. uh, someone else might have five other issues where it's like, we replaced that. You could still go within the yeah. year. So if we got a lot
1: of, a lot of that too, though, man, you got to be a good match. So they do like a whole androgen testing and seeing your blood type. So it's like the luck of the draw too, like who's going to be a best match. So it's did, not.
0: Yeah. Did, did you hear the story of it? Um, maybe you'll be more researching now, uh, but like CT Fletcher, And he had a heart transplant and, um, and CT, he was on Joe Rogan. He's talking about CT Fletcher actually has the heart of a woman, right? His heart is, is a woman's heart to think about is fucking wild. I don't know if it would make any difference, but CT, who's a very like spiritual guy, very introspective guy. You right. know this. He looks in inwards like that. He's if you were just the type who's uh, you know, it's just science, whatever. Flesh is flesh. Couldn't give a shit less whose it was before or whatever. Then it doesn't it doesn't do nothing for you. But if you're the type of guy or girl who like, you know, believes it, and is very introspective. If you get a, a woman's heart, he walks around like uh, he talks to this woman. He said, "This this lady died. I have her. I fucking have her heart. Of all things, of all things that we, of all organs, like a kidney, not so much. Where you think like, oh, that guy's got great kidneys. When you talk about him, like no, <laughs> the guy's the guy's got a big heart. he <laughs> told right. But um, yeah, it makes you. Do you want to know the person's story if you get a kidney, or are you like, I don't even want to know?"
1: yeah i mean i think like i got some relatives that are trying to donate and i think like you know i would feel more comfortable doing something like that than but yeah definitely man like this thing it's no small task you know and like yeah. you're talking about a life-saving operation like i am i am chronically sick i am not going to get better without this so like to have that opportunity to like you know living the last year the way i have and just it's been so humbling you know like dealing with these issues and to be given a second opportunity absolutely i would love to know that person's story
0: would you because you can give a kidney and still live which is obviously way different than a heart um i remember as a usc fighter um and his his daughter was was ill and he gave his kidney came back and still fought in the usc made the top 10 Alexander Houston, I don't know if you know him, he fought Kimbo yeah, yeah. and shit. He was, he was a top 10 funny. guy for a bit. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was fighting with one kidney right up the top of, of sports, right? So, in terms of like what can happen once the procedure's done and and what you could do with a good kidney, but it is look at 10 years from now, you might be looking back, and this could be just a humbling moment, a life-changing moment, like you said. But right. it, it would you be like now because of this? you know, is life a little different now when you like the little things where you're like, I don't give a certain things that would bother you or certain people. And you're like, why do I give a shit about that? That is not important. Right.
1: I I think just like, you know, like losing some people close to me throughout my life and like being through other obstacles, like adversity is no new thing for me. So I think I've already had that perspective. Like going through this is just like, it, it just, Yeah, it's it's been humbling, and it's like a realization of like the little shit doesn't matter. But you know that that mindset was already there. It just kind of like cements it even more. Mm. And I I think the timing of this one with like opening up the gym and allowing me to look at other athletes just makes me realize, you know, like it's bigger than yourself. And like it's not, you know, powerlifting can be a selfish sport at times. So like realizing that you got a whole community behind you, and that there's other people that are dependent on you and like really, really relying on your information. Like it makes, it made me uh, feel better about the next chapter, if that makes sense. And not as like, you know, you get fo- so focused of like, I need to break these records. I have goals. I need to accomplish so much as a lifter. And then it kind of allows you to live outside yourself and look at like, all right, you know, like you're not going to be a great power lifter forever. You know, mm-hmm. like Ed Cohen. One of the best all time, and like he's got a whole life after he's done competing, and it's the same thing like you're not going to be a top ranked athlete your whole life, so what is that going to look like when you're done i don't think anybody is really willing to be like you know i mean ideally we all go out on top right like you, you you own a few world records and you can walk away from that and feel like you're accomplished, but I don't think anybody's really ever ready to be done i don't no. think Michael Jordan was ever really ready to retire like you know Ray Lewis winning a Super Bowl, having an outstanding career—like he still misses playing football. So it's like you, you're always going to have that little part of you. But now, like seeing everything that I've seen in the last year and watching these other guys grow, like makes me feel a lot better going into it.
0: I think you're you're one hundred percent right. It's like a it's like an appetite. You think you're going to satiate, like oh, I'll feel full.
1: Yeah.
0: After I break this record, oh, I'll be yep. in a different place. And what you realize is the next day you wake up and then the next day and then the next day and then it becomes like what now uh, life well, isn't
1: over yeah and like i think for me learning like i was so goal oriented you know like i was so like i got a bench 600 pounds i got to squat 800 pounds and i would be so focused on those goals that it would you know you forget to to enjoy the journey and that's really what it is like you got to enjoy the experience getting there because that's that's your life you know like hitting that goal, you're going to set another goal. And even now, you know, like, I might not be able to do the same things I used to be able to do, but I'm still going to have goals, and I'm still going to be able to, you know, like, I, I want to come back and do one more meet after I get my transplant, and I want to do certain things, but, like, I'm learning now, like, to enjoy the process and not just shut everything down and focus on that goal. It, it's uh,
0: – when you get – okay, goal orientation is good, but when you get too goal-orientated – Before that day, when you hit the 500 or 600 bench or whatever it is, whoever's listening, whatever the goal is, right? Everything leading up to that one day, that's life. Not the one day is great. The one day is like an amazing day, but it's one fucking
1: day. Yeah. And that's what I try to tell guys. You know, like I, I trained out in California for four years and I had a great group of athletes with me and I had some good competitions and I did some cool things. But, like, to me, what I took away most were, like, the, the training days. Like, hanging yeah. out in the gym with the guys and spending that time. Like, that's what I miss the most.
0: It's funny how, like, you're preparing for that moment, right, on the platform or whatever the shit. And you right. don't even realize when you're showing up at the gym and you're seeing your buddies joking around and all that shit, right. those are the actual moments. Those are the real moments that that will make up life. When you look back, and it, remember, like, 20 years from now, you'll look back at, Remember when we had that gym and you fucking show up in the morning with a coffee and remember me and you used to always say, blah, 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 fill it in and the jokes and whatever. And you'll remember like your twenties, your thirties, whatever the shit. And you're like, that was actually life. You'll remember periods of your life. The one day you're like, yeah, that was a cool day, but it was a fucking day. The older you get, you realize that.
1: Yeah, exactly, And you're...
0: You're also right. You never get, you, you're, you will never be ready to close the door on when of like when I'm done, when I hit this record, I'll be able to close the door. No, you won't. You'll be nope. able to close the door when you have something else to translate. Right. Like athletes who retire, uh, I'm a big UFC boxing guy. A lot of these guys are now doing podcasts, commentating, whatever. Those guys who transition into something else transition. Well, those guys who never had something else afterward. Are, you're not ready it doesn't matter yeah. Chuck Liddell got knocked out like five six times in a row he's coming back as a damn near 50 year old man to get knocked out again yep. he doesn't have something else whereas yeah. like you said you you were like this isn't gonna last forever even if I stayed healthy and it's never happened to me it still wouldn't have lasted forever nothing exactly wins. I need to transition it has to be more than these little singular goals
1: right yeah and that's always been the focus man it's like you know I knew that you well one like power powerlifting is an amazing sport and I love the community around it but like you're not going to get rich being a powerlifter so like yeah. I was trying to make a career in fitness like I used powerlifting to elevate my my name in order to build something that was more sustainable being a gym so it's like it, you know it was never it was never an end goal to be a, a, a world renowned powerlifter the end goal was to do build a community around me so uh, it's definitely allowed me to do that, and you know I'm grateful for all the opportunities I've gotten from that. But to me, it, it's been um, more about that transition than anything else.
0: And do you remember? Was it was it your video that someone had like I can't remember if it was you or for someone else. was going back a few years ago. It was probably around 2017, 2018, where there's some smoking hot chick working out, and everybody's kind of like checking her out when she's working out in the gym. And yeah. then they go, oh, Steve Gentile's about to lift. And they yeah. go, was <laughs> that you? That and wasn't, I know.
1: That, that wasn't the dudes leave it. But someone made the video of you? Yeah, it was a group of guys. It was called After Hours. They were like this comedy group. And they asked me, they were filming at Barbell Brigade. And they asked me they had an idea for a video. I actually did a couple with them. But yeah, that was that was one of the more funny ones, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's the truth of it, you know? You got this 100%. girl everyone's checking out and then you see some big ass dude benching 500 pounds for reps and everybody just goes crazy like oh hell yeah
0: dude it's it's um yeah you don't get into it for the girls for sure because if you check a look (laughs) take a look at who follows you it's 90 percent men it's overwhelming dudes and dudes 100 you go to the gym they're gonna be the hottest girl doing whatever the shit ray williams you know what whoever walks in there starts squatting She's gone. She's in the background. Yeah. Could not give a fuck what she's yeah. doing anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, you know, like, when I was younger. I was a skinnier guy. Like, some might say good looking. So, like, when I would go out, I would get certain attention from women. But, like, as my career went longer, it went from, like, Girls coming up to me in bars with nothing but dudes. Like, what are you doing, bro?
0: <laughs> well, it's it's here's a it's it's funny how dudes operate when you're in the room. If everybody's like uh, quote unquote normal size, whatever. But if you lift it all, and you're at a room with mutual friends, new guy walks in a room and he's fucking jacked. If you were checking about, like, who's this guy? (laughs) What's up with (laughs) this dude? You're going to talk to him. You know, if you also lift, you know, and he knows you guys are going to talk at some point. And you guys are going to talk about numbers. It's inevitable, inevitable, inevitable. man. It just is what
1: it is. You just start exchanging looks, and then you give that little nod, like, all right, here it comes.
0: (laughs) I see you. I see you. We'll exchange programs real quick. Are you a powerlifter? Are you (laughs) a bodybuilder? (laughs) Exactly. So when you decided um, Indy City Barbell, what year was it that you decided that you were going to open it up?
1: Um, I think 2017 was I made the decision. Like I was living out in L.A. and I had been there for 11 years and had a great career outside of powerlifting, uh, personal training. And I, I owned a studio, uh, Hybrid Fitness, out in Pasadena, where it was primarily one-on-one personal training. but I had this idea to like do the open membership and I wanted to do a club and fell in love with the barbell scene out in California. You know, Barbell Brigade really Mm. brought a lot of opportunities for me and I love that environment there. So I I wanted to move back to the Midwest just because this is where I grew up. But um, my original plan was to go to Chicago, but Illinois is not a great state economically to develop a business. So coming to Indianapolis just made a lot more sense being as it's only a two-hour drive from Chicago. So that's really when I made the decision, but I didn't actually even get to open up the club until November of 2018. So it was about a full year of, like, planning, looking out locations, and development of the actual space before I was able to open. And it's – well, first off, how
0: different a lifestyle is at the California lifestyle to the Midwest in terms made- of –
1: it's huge, but, like, today's day and age, man, it's not like you need to live somewhere in order to be a part of it, you know, like, part like for me, there's, the, like, powerlifting was huge on the West Coast, and, like, you had uh, a lot of opportunities just based on, like, the fitness and uh, entertainment industry being based out of there, but, like, like, right now, man, you're able to Skype and connect and Zoom and, like, do these interviews anywhere, so I really felt like I wanted to bring something that wasn't really already available in a space to a place that I thought could do really well. And like one of the reasons I came to Indianapolis was I was here on vacation and I was wearing like a slingshot shirt and I was working out at a YMCA and some people had seen a couple of YouTubes I did and like came up to me and talked to me mm-hmm. and they're just like, dude, there's nothing like this here downtown. I really would love it if we had a club like that. And I started looking at the economics of it. I'm like, man, even if I made, a lateral move with my income from LA doing what I'm doing. Like uh, the money here goes four times as far. Right. And not only that, but the city itself is way more accessible, right? Like I lived in LA for 11, 12 years and I maybe went to two or three Laker games because how hard it was to get downtown and to deal with that bullshit. So like here you got season tickets to the Pacers. I can walk there every night. It's <laughs> yeah. not hard. Like, living, living in this city is so easy. What's funny to me, though, is, like, now developing that that image of, like, being the, the destination gym for powerlifting, we're getting a lot of great lifters that are commuting outside of Indianapolis to get here, and they're like, man, I don't know how you live downtown and deal with all that traffic. I'm like, dude, there's no traffic here. Like, growing up in Chicago and being in L.A., like, dude, this is not a big deal. Like, you can't deal with this. Don't move anywhere else, man, because this is not bad. It's, you know, it's funny how, so
0: do you, do you listen to Joe Rogan podcast by chance?
1: I have. Yeah. I'm not, okay. I'm not an avid listener, but
0: so they, so Joe Rogan has a crew of guys as well that he always has on his podcast, but they also have their own podcast and, um, they always perform like their home comedy spot is a comedy, the comedy store. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. they're always there in, in, uh, I think it's LA or it's um, Hollywood. Yeah, oh, Hollywood
1: yeah. Okay. So they're yeah. always – have you ever been there by chance? Yeah. Oh, no shit. Times. How is yeah. it? it? It's great, man. Like, you got headliners there, but they also have, like – a lot of my friends would do the the circuits out there playing at the clubs, and they had these smaller rooms so you get a little bit more intimate setting. But That's it was right. cool, man. Like, my, I think my first time there, I was uh, – went to see uh, just a, a random show and then like Martin Lawrence popped up on stage. like, oh, oh, down, damn. So like you, you just never know who's going to swing through some of those clubs. The, the, uh, the comedy, yeah, they,
0: they talk about it on the podcast. Like you got, like Joe Rogan is like the Ed Sullivan, Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, fucking assert the name of our time. Like right. um, late night talk shows are essentially dead. If you look at the ratings, comparatively to what they were, fractions. Whereas Joe Rogan is now in podcasts have filled that role
1: to yeah, go to the comedy like store. Huge, you just got some ridiculous contract for it too, right?
0: They, he signed for Spotify. So it's Spotify exclusive and they're going video as well on Spotify, I guess. Um, so Spotify exclusive and initially they didn't know numbers. Nobody knew numbers. So somebody printed saying a hundred million dollar deal, totally yeah. pulling the number out of nowhere. Yeah, people close to joe rogan actually said that's extremely conservative jesus and, christ yeah. so you 100 million is conservative yeah. like oh, holy shit we're talking um, on the camera. it's it's absolutely insane yeah the numbers he pulls in but uh so all these guys they all show up at the comedy store and it's just like you're saying we're like you got people like bobby lee brennan schaub joe rogan but you'll have like um Leah. Brian Callan or fucking Dave Chappelle, it could be anybody, can just right. show up at the comedy store. And there was a section of time before podcasts and social media were big that the comedy store went through a quote unquote drought. And not a lot of people were going there. And then and Joe Rogan wasn't there, et cetera. So Joe Rogan started his podcast, and along the lines, he started going back to the comedy store. They had a beef. He wasn't going there for a while, but they smoothed it over. So Joe Rogan started performing at the Comedy Store and then all of his buddies with podcasts started going back to the Comedy Store and on social media, their social media blew up. And they talk about the times they have at the Comedy Store, performing at the Comedy Store. I'm from Canada, my friend. I ain't never been there before in my fucking life. But I Mm -hmm. picture what it looks like and they're like, that's the Mecca of comedy. If I ever am in town, I have to stop at the Comedy Store. It becomes that in my
1: mind. You'd probably be disappointed. It's it's not a clean place.
0: <laughs> Dog, it always is like that, though, right? Yeah. It's like... Yeah, uh, I,
1: like Gold's Gym in Venice. You know, everybody talks about that as being like the mecca of bodybuilding and like the fitness capital of the world. That gym is a fucking dump. Is <laughs> it's got, it really? It's got, it's got the weirdest people. They don't clean shit. Like, it's, it's a fucking dump.
0: Yeah, but their immune systems from all that little bits of germs probably never get corona. They're like fucking (laughs) superhuman immune systems now. They've been vaccinated by the equipment several times over, over decades.
1: Um, Yeah, you you work out there long enough, I'm sure you get the cure for AIDS.
0: (laughs) That's right. Their immune system aid budget. That's, That's honestly like when Arnold Schwarzenegger was in Europe still, and he's reading the magazine, all these muscle magazines, Joe Weeder would have like a, a photo shoot with a guy and they would be like, our labs are testing, you know, our products are testing this guy and he's got the strongest legs. They didn't have labs testing this guy or whatever, but right. you're around the world and you're an impressionable dude in like the sixties in Europe reading this, You're like, holy fuck. If I ever get over to the US, I have to go visit this place. And he right. had all these ideas showed up and realized like, it was just a fucking photo shoot like this is all baloney like yeah. it, it was just a gym like yeah. it, was, it was he's like what the shit and then he started working for the magazine and they do these articles with him in it and he's like oh okay now now i yep. see the way it actually works
1: that's it, that's majority of la and hollywood man like is over it really it. yeah a lot of it you know it's not a clean city but i mean I, it, it's a great city to live in and it definitely presents a lot of opportunities but I feel like a lot of that stuff was overhyped, you know. It wasn't, uh, you get, like you said, you get this idea what, you, what it would be like, like Holly, Hollywood you think is going to be like this glamorous place, and then you get there and it's just a bunch of fucking bums on the street and people panhandling for money trying to take advantage of tourists. Like, it's, it's yeah. not clean. It's a dirty strip. Like, it's not no. exactly what you think it's going to be.
0: And what's the lifestyle, like? like, just the lifestyle, how people are, businesses, and the pace of it compared to, like, the Midwest?
1: It's it's totally different. Like, you, you really can't compare the two. Like, here you got a lot of guys that work 9 to 5, the blue-collar people, but they're just trying to make a living for themselves. I think, you know, you, you do have that community out in L.A. that's trying to be famous and, like, being an actor. And then, you know, like, a lot of my friends here will say, like, I don't want to live in L.A. It's like, those people are too pretentious. And I'm like, well, have you ever been there? Like, yeah, there's definitely that crowd, but there's normal people there, too. And, like, there's a real backbone of L.A. And, like, I've met some of the, you know, close friends of mine that will be friends for life out there. And they live there their whole life. So it's like you kind of find what you're looking for. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, you could find that same pretentious crowd here in Indiana. Like, if that's really what you're trying to do, you'll be able to find those people anywhere.
0: I mean, you could – you could put all of Canada's population and that pretty much equals California alone. Yeah, I mean, it's such a
1: mixed pot. I will I will say, though, like, the diversity there is amazing. Like, the amount of people I met from all over the world that lived there it was amazing. And it was a unique opportunity to, to really understand other people's cultures. And it was a real learning experience for me, and I'm grateful for that time. Because I got, you know, like, especially in today's day and age and dealing with the things that the U S has been dealing with the last couple of months. Like, you know, I, I was really grateful for an opportunity to get a perspective outside of like being a, being a Midwestern or being a Chicago native, like and having that experience.
0: Mm. Um, you know, and, and going back in terms of like, for instance, never seeing the comedy store, but it being blown up in my mind and like how social media yeah. can do that. Yeah. It's kind of like, like you were saying with gyms though where you might not realize it, but like, when I see, or everybody sees certain gyms, and certain high profile people are at those gyms posting over and over and over. And um, you see the backgrounds of the gyms, you might see like, some gyms might have like four or five people with big followings, and they're always posting from this gym. you see, you start recognizing the equipment. As a matter of fact, it gets to the point where if one lifter posts a video, from that gym, everybody fucking knows what gym they're at without them even saying. It's it becomes that. That's what social media does. So right. I I know what you mean. Where you might have people show up and they're like, if they're a power lifter or whatever, they're like, we got to go train a day at Indy City Barbell, and there <laughs> it becomes that.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it, it's been doing that, and a lot of what we designed the gym was to be like that. You know, I, I tried to pick colors that were native to Indianapolis and you know, my goal is to be like we do a video here, everyone's gonna know it's my gym. Right. And not just be like, uh what gym are they at? Because it's black and it's red and the same shit over and over again at all these hardcore gyms. So it was definitely like a marketing strategy to try to do something unique.
0: You gotta recognize stuff like that. Like anyone who doesn't take that into account is dropping the ball. Like if you okay. actually like I notice, I see the same videos all the time when I'm reposting Killings or whatever, and right. I start recognizing gyms for sure. And um, if people don't capitalize, like, what are our colors? Like a team would. What are our, every brand, as a matter of fact, you don't even have to be a sports team, but every brand, Coke, for instance, Pepsi, they have colors, they even have fonts. This is our font we use when we use our writing. So when you see Uh this font, that font doesn't have to say Coke. But if I use that font and it's a red background, you're fucking thinking Coke. If we do shit like that. When people come to Indy City, they're like, "We gotta go to Indy City Barbell. I gotta fucking yeah. feel it." And when you get there, it might sound funny because you work there, you're there every day, so you're like, "It's your back, it's your life, right?" But for someone who might travel through, stop off in the gym and walk in there, they'd be like, "Holy shit, this is the place and, in those
1: videos." Dude, it's it's not. I don't take it for granted, you know. Like every day I go in there, I feel extremely blessed, and I still get blown away. Like we we've redone the gym about four times since I've been there and we keep, I uh, keep buying new stuff and bringing in more equipment. So like the gym gets better and better and more people come and it's been growing and it's still exciting for me, man. I walk in there every day, like, Holy shit, I can't believe I get to be a part of this. So it, it's been a, it's been an awesome experience even just for that. Yeah. And like, I'm like such a gym enthusiast that like I travel the gyms and just like you, you see these videos and like, I get excited going to certain places and for me to like actually be in control and be like, how can I make this gym even fucking better? Yeah. Like it's so exciting and I get, I get looking forward to like ways we can do things differently than other places and take the experiences that were really positive at other places I've been and be able to implement it into my own strategies. Like it's been awesome. I'm, it, like a, it, I'm like a little kid every day getting ready to play with toys. It's good to,
0: well, I mean, it's, it's all about perspective not taking for granted. Like just being like, look at this, everything could come to an end. I want to fucking soak this up. I'm going to work at my gym. I worked right. for myself. I have yep. complete control over this. I'm building something that when people come in town and they show up, they're like, holy shit, we're here. There's yeah. Steve Jantilly. there's, there's, you know, Gareth Fear, there's, like, they, people start talking like that and you're like, I built this. This right. wasn't here before me. You know, this was an idea, and now people around the world can be watching this, and you know, it's, it's, yeah, you can take it for granted sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like you, like you said, and like the beginning of this conversation, being through everything I have been through, and like, I've worked jobs I I hated, so like, I I don't take it for granted. You know, at the end of the day, it's still a job, and you got to do some shit, like, you know, like we, you, you own the gym, you got to maintain the facility. So like you're right. cleaning up stuff and picking up after people and it gets annoying sometimes, but honestly, like every day I'm there, I feel blessed.
0: And how did it come? How did you meet Garrett fear? Um, and how did that take place in terms of like Garrett coming on as well?
1: Okay. So um, G- Garrett was like a big fan of mine forever. Like I, not, it's funny. Cause I'll look at like old videos and I'll see his comments in my old videos, and I never, like, responded to them. and oh, you, oh, you like, know, sold them. I, I didn't know them, man. Like, yeah, was, yeah, like, fair. And, fair. like, in those times when Instagram was, like, getting good, you know, you'd get a few hundred thousand views and a couple hundred comments, it was hard to get to them all, you know? Like, right. I definitely appreciate all the support I've gotten over the years, but you're not going to get the chance to get to know all of the people that follow you. It's, so, it's like, probably
0: not even healthy to. Sometimes you yeah, should probably. post and walk away. You shouldn't even get too far into your comments because either it blows up your head or it's negative. Like, sometimes you're like, I'm going to post and I'm going to leave it.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, like, a lot of times, you know, you treat it like a business and use it for what it is. But um, you you do establish some relationships with people. And uh, but Garrett had, like, messaged me a few times and I had never even opened up his messages he he admitted to me later he used to message me and then like delete it because he would get embarrassed that it was no shit how <laughs> weird is it that like you know you know
0: life is so fucking funny man there could be somebody for anyone listen there could be somebody in your life who knows you is 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 like got plans and you have no idea they could be like key in your life in like three years well, and that's
1: yeah. the thing you know like Garrett's a lot younger than me so he was like in high school looking at my training videos like up training at Barbell Brigade or making videos with Mark Bell, and he was, like, still in high school during those times. For me, I'm like, that was only five years ago. That doesn't feel too long ago. No, that's 29. But, exactly. Whereas for him,
0: five years yeah. ago when you're young is fucking your teenager.
1: Yeah, he's still in high school. So yeah. when, uh, when I came out here, um, you know, a, a couple guys that I knew uh, pointed me in Garrett's direction. He was competing in the U.S. Open. the first time like you know like his first big meet and I watched that on television so I got to see him uh, compete and then when he came back I started training with him and that's when I started prepping for record breakers so we'd established a training relationship he had a small community of lifters here then like I started talking to him about Indy City and he was going to come train with me and then when I first opened the gym Garrett wasn't a part of it as much as a business standpoint as he was just a lifter that supported the gym so he was really just a guy that like loved powerlifting, um, l- liked what I was doing wanted to be a part of it but it was really more about uh him as a lifter and then like having the knee surgery I was gone Garrett stepped up and like started coming into the gym because I couldn't be there I had another guy that was helping me too but Garrett never asked for anything in return. He just like, hey, man, like, I, I, I love the community we have here. I love the gym. I really want to keep it, help you out because I want the gym to succeed. And then Holy I, I, I had that and then was back in the gym. But Garrett was kind of like, hey, if you need help with anything, let me know. And, like, he, he was doing coaching but wasn't making any money at the gym. You know, he was just kind of donating time here and there. And then when I went into kidney failure – I was hospitalized for seven days. He covered the whole the gym the whole time. He's like, Steve, don't worry about anything. I'm going to take care of it. And uh, that's when I was like, okay, you know, like I, I, one, I can't do this alone. The gym's growing at a rate which is like more than I can manage. So I really need some some other people's help here. So like, and now we're getting to the point where we're bringing other people on as well. So it's been. Um, as the gym has grown, we've been able to make more opportunities. But, you know, there was a way for me to reward Garrett for being a, a loyal dude. And just like he loves the gym, and the community so much that I was able to give him, you know, and I didn't gift him anything. Like a lot of people think that, you know, like I just gave him half of my gym and that's not the case. Like we, we've worked out an agreement where he's earning sweat equity over time. And he's able to work for me and essentially gain more of the business, but mm. and uh, also allowing him the opportunity to do coaching and personal training there as well. So he's we making a little bit of money on that. but it, it was it, more it was more about the the combination of like what he was doing and just like knowing that we could make a good team together. it's It shows that,
0: like, when he stepped up, he had no idea it would lead anywhere. He's thinking, I got you. Like, You know what? I love this gym and I don't want to see it fold. Like another gym could come, fine. I could train at another gym, but it won't be this gym. It won't be this atmosphere. This is my home. He's like, let me step in. And it just shows you how for some people who would be like, uh, well, Garrett, you know, he gets lucky. Oh, fuck. Look how lucky he got there. Anyone who'd be saying that would be like, you're not the type of person to step up with absolutely no guarantees or no promise, nothing. You just step yeah. up to step up like guarantees. Yeah,
1: exactly. And it, wasn't like, it wasn't like a selfish motivation either. Like, he was really generally trying to help. Like, did he flew out to California to wrap my knees for that meat I, He didn't ask me for money. He didn't ask me to, like, help him out. Like, he does Jesus. his things because he wants to do them. You know, yeah. like, same thing. Like, I tore my quad. He came over, like, brought me food. He was like – trying to take care of me because he generally cared and that's like a lot like he gets a bad rap i think just he, like garrett's garrett you know he's gonna run his mouth and he talks shit and like mm-hmm. he, some people think he's really fucking annoying for that but like i like like he's like that all the time like he's not putting on a facade that just is who he is and like i like him because he always speaks his mind and he's always honest like he's not always right and his like his opinions are way off sometimes but like you got to appreciate the fact that he presents it and that it's his honest, it's his truth every time he says it. So right. like that, that, um, I mean, you've had him on the show, you know what he says. Yeah. He's, a, <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's got a lot of opinions and he's got, and he has a hard time filtering himself. So like, yeah. but to me, like, I appreciate the honesty and I know that he's got a good heart when he comes to from a good place. So like, that was one of the reasons that that, uh, that we were, me and him really bonded. Especially being in a position where I've dealt with a lot of fake ass people, you know, you deal with people that are like, "Hey, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for you, dude." Like, "Oh, you're opening a gym? You know, I can do so much." Or, you know, "I got this company. I think I could really help you out." And they never fucking follow through with anything. But this guy, mm-hmm. like, he's there every time and doesn't ask for shit.
0: It's it's um sometimes people don't realize like the I think. As more time goes by, the more people you meet, the more you realize you have to take both. You can't you can't just take one side of somebody, it's all it's all or yeah. nothing. And, and you can't be like, Oh fuck, if we could just have have Garrett filter this part so he doesn't vocalize. This is Garrett, man, though. And the same dude that might be posting or commenting or getting into some whatever beast, or whatever, will be the same dude who will fly out to help you out, come to your house. When he knows you fucked up, he might not have all the words he wants to say, but he's gonna show up at your house with some food and this is his way. Or he'll be like, let me step up without anything coming back his way and be like, let me help you with your business and not to step in until you're back on your feet and shit. Like you gotta accept people for who they are and be like, you can't have it both ways. You can't just edit people and change people.
1: No, you can't. I mean, there's a lot of things I wish he would change, but like, you, you know, you, like you said, you gotta take the good with the bad and I, yeah. and I appreciate him for who he is.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how are things now, now that, um, Garrett's come on board and you're starting to develop a team. So before Corona hit, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Cause holy yeah. shit, man. Talk about another one, two yeah. punch dude, coming your dude, way. <laughs>
1: the two years i've had back to back here it's it, like it, it's enough to to put you into the deep depression
0: maybe. yeah well in terms of uncertainty um you got your almost your life took and then your livelihood took like it was it was right. in terms of like terms of um perspective you know i often do like when i'm dealing with some shit it, i i ask myself like how bad is this is this a problem that i'm glad i got in 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 <laughs> yeah. terms of like wow, how awesome is my life that this is the biggest problem I got to deal with right now? It puts in perspective real fucking quick. Whereas, yeah. you know, sometimes some shit will come your way and you're like, I, I'm, legit, I'm legit scared because I don't know. Like, I don't know how I'm going to feed myself. I don't know. Like, with some of the things you were dealing with, it's like next year is not a, a given. You know, there's some scary stuff being thrown your way. Like before, yeah. before Corona hit, how are things rolling? Like, like in terms of even Garrett coming in there, cause he is so much younger. And, and when we talk sure. about a guy, Garrett's age, look at when I was Garrett, Garrett's age, I wasn't full on like Garrett, but I wasn't fucking me now. I'll tell yeah, you this yeah. now. Like I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, maybe I wasn't as brash as Garrett. He shoots from the hip for sure, but I fucking am glad there was no social media because I was, I was not, you live and learn in the older you, the more, the only, the only way you know what to do the right thing is by experience. And the only way you get experience is doing the wrong thing. So you right. do the wrong thing enough times and you start realizing, well, I shouldn't have said that. Well, that wasn't, I shouldn't have trusted that guy.
1: Well, you know yeah. what? And this, this guy, a lot of what he's living through right now.
0: This is life, man. How old is Gary? He's early 20s. 20, right? 20, Just 20. 23. 23, the guys, guys, you know, doing this thing, business, thousands of people following him online, the whole nine. Like, I, there's no way I wouldn't be able to run a business and be that mature in terms of doing that, having thousands of people follow me on Instagram. And like,
1: yeah,
0: yeah man, I'd be all in. Do you feel like, uh, do you at times feel age gaps when you not just with Garrett, but just period, and be like, I'm starting to be like that fucking older guy who's the wise old man right now? 100%.
1: A hundred percent. Like yeah. a lot of the group, a lot of the group that comes in is really young, and it's like you know, I, it's hard for me to relate. They just got different agendas. But um, y- y- the gym to me, like I love the community there, but it is a business, you know. And like I'm a professional dude; I've worked corporate jobs for 15 years. Like this, this isn't a game to me. And like, yeah, I have a lot of fun with it, but at the end of the day, you're running a business, and I think yeah. uh, you know Garrett kind of struggles with that, and like deals with friendships more than he does professional relationships so it, it's a little hard and sometimes <laughs> sometimes it's like we, we, get, we bump it like dude me and Garrett bump heads a lot you know like we argue We, but that's what's good about running a business is we have different perspectives and we're able to make you know at the end of the day like it, it, it comes down to what I want to do but I definitely take what Garrett's opinions into, into consideration when I'm making making opinions or uh Making decisions,
0: and it is like when you, when you have someone there and you trust them enough to know. It, it, here's the the beautiful thing about like when you got like your crew, your core group around you. I have buddies. We all have buddies. You have people in your lives that, if you guys bump heads and it gets rocky, somebody could just not talk to you for a little while and then they just drift away and you're like, well, all right, well I guess that was that. Whereas you right. also know you have friends that you know you know, we could fucking be bump heads. It's terrible. And I know there's nothing you could say and there's nothing I could say. We're going to be good because right. you know, there's people like that as well. You know, yeah. and that's where, when you have that's trust right there, right?
1: yeah but like you said man there is a big age gap and it's not like me and Garrett hang out a lot outside of the gym like we have a a working relationship and like we respect each other enough to like like and and it's not like we're not friendly either like we definitely socialize and things like that but we're just at different points in our lives right like I'm not at a point where like you know I don't drink and I don't party I don't go out and do those things anymore and like you know I'm I'm in a relationship, I'm not trying to get laid. So like the, it's a different, it's a different nightlife for me. Yeah, I bet.
0: It's a, you know, I got, I got a crew of fellas that, um, like I got to get an X amount of steps and to keep the body weight down. So I'm going on walks on trail walks all the time. (laughs) And some of these cats I walk with are like around my age. Some of them are like scattered throughout the twenties in their twenties.
1: Right.
0: And, um, yeah, man, we have conversations. and sometimes I'm like, listen to me just listen to me <laughs> i'm like, yeah, I'm, like yeah. I'm gonna give you some advice i already know how the story ends right. <laughs> you're, you're, right. you're telling like i've done this yeah. uh, my boys well, have done
1: well, this <laughs> some people got to learn the hard way man and they're never going to take your opinion either. for sure well I probably I, like I can't that. even I can't even get Garrett to take my advice on bench pressing. Really <laughs> that's true too, bro. Right? He's, he's gonna do what he wants to do. So I, I, I've given up on that a long time ago.
0: <laughs> well, that's true too. And when I think about when I was young, I was probably that dude. But whatever. It's also our job. It's it's um it's funny how you like settle into certain roles in life You're like, oh shit, I'm that guy now. Yeah. not I'm that guy now. People, I lives. enjoy it
1: though, man. I enjoy like the coaching and like people coming up to me and asking for for the being the older, wiser dude in the gym. Like that that part to me is the, the good part, man. Like I got a lot of education and a lot of experience, so it, it's it's exciting to me to be able to pass that on.
0: Yeah, and even like like that as well, but also like how to carry yourself in certain situations. Like, man, I'm, I got guys coming up to me with like. Whatever situations, man. Whether it's shit that happened online, and I'm like, put put a pin in it. Wait a couple of days. You want to respond like that? This is how you're gonna respond. Or if it's a girl problem, and I'm like, tell me about the situation. They tell me, and I'm like, here's what's going on. Right? Like, you know, you're like, ah, like you certain things you've seen a bunch of times, right? Whether your life or or friends.
1: Yeah. I mean, I try to stay out of people's personal lives, man. I like you know, I go I go through enough shit myself to put myself yes. in anyone else's shoes. So
0: Yeah, well probably too, right? When you're dealing with some shit you were dealing with and someone wants to come to you with some problems.
1: Um, I get, I don't get the energy or the time. <laughs> That's right.
0: You're like, I'm operating literally at twelve percent right now. Yeah. I don't need your fucking problems.
1: Yeah, not at all. Stress is stress is not good for me.
0: Right. Um uh, so talk speaking on that talk about bad fucking timing when corona hit. And yeah, I remember yeah. the video you put up. Um, I th- did I think it was you who took a swing swing of the gym saying, Yeah, everything I put into everything I've done, all like gyms. People take for granted like how dicey it is to open a gym with nothing wrong, no they pandemic.
1: Do. Yeah, and and on top of that, too, like you you, you take a significant amount of investment into the gym to get it open right And you're not making that money back your first year of being open like you're basically just trying to get to the point where you're like breaking even at the gym and no longer losing money and uh, it was that same investment you could take into a million other things and make way more money on you know like no one opens up a powerlifting gym to be rich like, that's not the goal with with opening up a gym. Like, if you wanted to be rich, you take that money and go put it into something that's going to give you a higher return. Like, mm-hmm. you, you put it into powerlifting or these smaller gyms because they're passionate about it. So, it, it was. It was, like, very, you know, like, um, opening up the gym. I tore my pack. I I broke up with a long-term girlfriend. I had my knee issue and then kidney, like that first year of being opened, it was, it was tough, man. That was a rough year. And then coming into 2020, like, you know, now we had the Corona hit and then the fucking race riots here. Like it was back-to-back bullshit of things that were like everything that could go wrong, did go wrong. Right. And the the, the Corona was tough, dude, because they originally told us two weeks so we had to uh, shut down the gym. We were at first allowed to have personal training in there. So we we're allowing members to come in in small groups. And then somebody called the fucking cops on us and they showed up and like, you guys are done. So we had to close down the gym completely. But then two weeks turned into three months. And, uh, you know, it was, like I, I stopped billing for a month and we didn't charge our members because they weren't able to access the gym. And we were kind of told that we were going to be able to apply for these grants or, get some aid and like me or Garrett both didn't qualify for unemployment because we're independent contractors. And then I wasn't able to secure any loans and we didn't get any help from the government at all. So basically like we're sitting there losing money for three months and like it was uh, about a month in, you know, I had paused it and then I told the members like, listen, like I, I can't afford to keep the gym, open without charging people money. So I started the, the membership fees back up. But um, a lot of people lost jobs or moved out of state when that shit hit. And we started losing a lot of members, man. Like I turned the billing back on and probably like 30 more guys were like, hey, sorry, Steve, I got to go. And like the gym was was growing at a good rate before that. And actually, the month month of March, we actually had our best month ever. So it was like we were on track to start doing really well. And then the, when Corona hit, like things, uh, I was kind of unsure about things, but that's when I was like, I was already thinking about expanding to the next spot anyway. And then this was kind of like, listen, like if I got to charge members, <coughs> the gym's already shut down. I might as well try to like reinvest and like double up. You know, it was like, it was definitely a gamble. Cause like a lot of gyms were closing and a lot of people, people were losing their businesses, but I was like, I think I'll look back at this point as either a make or break opportunity. I'm either going to like double down and build this gym into like my dream gym and it's going to grow from here or I'm just going to fucking lose everything. Like it's, it's 50, 50. So I I, I, I took the risk. Like we bought cardio equipment, we got showers. Like I did everything that people were telling me I needed, like everything, every pushback I had from somebody being like, Hey, I'd love to work out here. The people here are great. I love the energy you guys have. The environment's awesome. But I need cardio. But I need showers. So like I did those things. And since we reopened, man, like we we've had a record setting month. Like people are coming in. I think we went up like 90 members in two weeks. Like the the oh. we as soon as we were able to open up, like we got all our members back and then some. So it's been it's been good, man. It's been really good.
0: A huge bounce back. It, you literally took the Babe Ruth approach, where it's yeah. like I'm not singling, I'm not doubling. No, I'm fucking home running this, or I'm striking out and landing on my face. That's how hard dude, I, I put.
1: I put everything I had into it, man. Like there's, there was like, you know, I had a little bit of reserved money to keep the gym afloat, and like this was like, all right, we're either gonna you go go big or go broke. So we, I, I took <laughs> it all and I invested it into the gym, and that's it, man. Like, you know. You made a push
0: and you you were like, I might be calling in in a month being like, keep the fucking kidney. I don't need it anymore.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm done. I'm done. That might be the best best case scenario. I don't get the transplant. I'm dead in four years. (laughs) Jesus.
0: But like, wow, man. Was it um, like in terms of making that move, in terms of making that call, because you didn't know when you were going to open up even with
1: Corona. So Uh, we had an idea. Did you? Okay. But like, it, but even again, it got pushed back two more weeks, which was all right. It just like slowed our timeline. But because of the pandemic, and because of everything that was going on, and because people were shutting down left and right, I was able to secure a better negotiation with the landlord and like say, listen, I want to take on more of the space. So it like, I got a better deal than I probably would have without it, because I did have the financial backing to go ahead and go through with it. So I think that, that, you know, it played into my mind, but at the end of the day, like, you don't know that your members are gonna come back. Yeah. You don't know that more people are gonna come to your gym and not be scared that, uh, of getting sick, you know? And like, we did our best, like, we spaced every piece of equipment with six feet apart, we made plenty of room for social distancing, we got sanitization stations, we're, we're taking really good care of the space. But you, there's just a lot of unknown variables. So, like, there, there was a lot of sleepless nights going into that. Like, I was a nervous wreck, man. Like, thinking, like, I'm dumping all this money. And, like, I, I don't know if you've ever been broke before, man. But, like, when I was younger, yeah. I moved to L.A. And there was a lot of periods of time where, like, I didn't know how I was going to pay rent. So, I had, like, this security blanket of, like, I need X amount of dollars in my bank account in order to feel, like, secure. And, like, I was way below that point, man. Just, like, dumping money into the gym. Like, we need this and we need that. And, like, Garrett's got all these ideas. And, like, hey, we should go buy that. And I'm like, dude, that's great. But, like, who do you think that is paying for that? Like, that money comes from somewhere. Like, it it would be amazing to have Sonos in our fucking gym. But I'm not paying for that shit.
0: Like, there's
1: certain things you can justify and and take a risk with an investment. Certain things are just like, listen, we need – to make sure that, that we're doing what we need to do for the members that are here and not try to do too much that, for things that we don't know about.
0: Because you could easily overextend. You could easily, oh. you know, reach too far and be like, fuck me, man, I spent too much. Because you don't know what's yeah. coming around the corner. What, what Corona right. taught us, you need, you need a little bit of a buffer at all times if you're a business.
1: Yeah, and, and, but, there, there, you know, there's also times where you need to take that risk, too. And I think this is one of those times. If you play conservative and I didn't do the expansion, I don't think I would have had the response I've had. And the people that are coming back are, like, more positive than ever. You know, they're like, this place is amazing. And, like, now we got separation between, like, a powerlifting side and a bodybuilding side. So people that aren't exclusively there for the barbell have a place to go to. Right. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So, and also with the social distancing I think it's played a big role like um, having, having enough space in order to do that
0: when this was all happening it's, it's weird because like you, you try to like everyone has different numbers Where uh, when I listen to all these different podcasts and they're like here's the numbers in terms of what Corona is and then someone else is right. like a lot of the numbers aren't the numbers you think because yeah. you have so many different elements and you can have Corona and you can die but you right. didn't die from corona, but you had corona. That could be a corona death, though, marked yeah. as corona. So it became like, what are we fucking talking about? You don't know what you should do.
1: And the, the same thing is happening right now with, like, the, the, the racial tensions here in the states. There's just a lot of misinformation, and it just feels like it's politically motivated. You know, yeah. you got, like, the Republican people talking about one aspect of it and Democrats talking about a different aspect of it, and they just – You know, you get rhetoric and bullshit on both sides and you just don't know what to believe. So for me, you know, you you deal with the community you have. Right. And like my demographic is like 18 to 35 is pretty much all my members. So it's a younger group. They're healthier. You know, they're not as high at risk. It doesn't mean that they can't carry it, but we are taking precautions and we're like doing everything that the CDC has recommended and locally here with our, our health department as well. So I think we, we've taken enough to like really minimize the risks that we have mm-hmm. that uh, people feel comfortable and confident coming in to work out.
0: Well, this is it. Like all you could do is is follow the guidelines in front of you. And some people are like, well, they're 18 to, uh, you know, they're fit, uh, 18 to 35, whatever the demographic might predominantly be. But some people like, what? If they come into contact with their grandparents or the parents, but then on the flip side, there's new information where they're saying, if you're asymptomatic, you actually can't carry it and give it to someone else. You can, you can get it, but you can't. So then it's like, again, it's one of those deals where you're like, I can only operate with what I'm told because yeah. you could tell me one thing, someone else could tell me, no, that 25 year old cannot, if he's asymptomatic, cannot give it to his grandmother. So it's like, well, you don't know. You know, it, that's yeah. why I don't judge people. I don't judge people. If someone's like, I'm owning a business, I'm just gonna follow the guidelines. I don't judge nobody cause like nobody fucking knows. If you just yeah. accept, if you humble, if we all humble ourselves, like no, even experts don't know, let's, let's not get too down someone's throat because you might get someone yeah. down someone's throat who's fighting for their livelihood. And then 10 years later, find out that you were wrong when you were being self-righteous, jumping on them. And then, so they have to lose their livelihood. They lost their livelihood for no reason. Possibly, and that's that's you know? that's
1: a lot of people are saying. Like, oh, let's keep the businesses closed, and this. and I'm like, dude, like I, I I got no loans, I got no unemployment, I got no income coming in. Like, we, and they're just like, oh, it's about people's lives and shit like that. And I'm just like, is it the, like,
0: like, like it is, and it right.
1: is. Like it, exactly, we, that's my point. If we knew, we don't know. Fact, like, it, dude, if, right. if you told me sacrificing my business was going to end racism. Like or get a fucking solve coronavirus, I'd be happy to do it if that right. meant it was getting better the fucking world. But, like, the, the, the truth of the matter is those things aren't going to help. And, like, yeah, you want to minimize the risks for sure, but at the same time, like, you can't keep – and, and honestly, dude, like, this might be unrelated to where you were going, but I feel like having the coronavirus was just a precursor to what's happening now. Like, everybody was already in an argumentative state, and everybody was already depressed, and everybody was angry and upset, because, like, we're getting all this misinformation, and then it just took one catalyst, one incident to really ignite a huge fucking flame, and that's exactly what happened. So, like, you know, I can really appreciate those things, but it's just... It's frustrating to have such varying opinions and not one person kind of being like leading the way with answers. Because right now it's just leading into frustration, more frustration.
0: I think if everyone's honest, like look, when the World Health Organization and a lot of these, first they came out saying it can't transfer to humans. Then they said it doesn't, it can't be transferred via droplets. Then it's right. it can be, it can transfer to humans. Then it's death rate could be ten percent. Then it was. Um, death rate could be less than 1%. Then it was yeah. death rate was the average life was 81, but life expectancy was 76. So all these people were going to die within the year of something. They might've just had Corona, but not died of Corona. Right. So then it became, and then now I'm hearing if you're asymptomatic, you can't transfer to someone. So it's like, look at, uh, the- we don't know. We don't, <laughs> we don't know. The experts don't know.
1: We don't it- know. And one of the big reasons they were like gyms need to stay closed was because they thought it was going to live on surfaces, and they come out and said that it, it can't live on surfaces. So Now it's experts like,
0: have what? said that. Experts have yeah. said it won't live on surfaces. So then it becomes like, right? It, it becomes look at maybe initially it was good to like let's just take the biggest precaution. But then when you start coming up with new facts, like if you start saying okay it can't live in surfaces like we thought, and um, doesn't be transferred like we thought, then you start asking like okay well yeah, if, if, if the local authorities, like, you guys can open your gym, obviously you're going to do that, right?
1: Yeah, we, we followed, <laughs> like, listen, we stayed close. I wasn't operating illegally. You know, we did exactly what we needed to do. But it's time to move on, you know. Like, it's time to open. It's time to allow people to exercise. Because they said one of the the leading cause of hospitalizations over the course of the closure was mental health issues. So, right. like, yeah. it, it just... People you can't be locked up, man. It's not good for you.
0: And here's another thing, my friend. Um, people who were overweight were far more susceptible, but people who were in shape are far more likely to beat this thing. Surprise, surprise!
1: Right. Surprise, exactly. surprise. You need. Who would have thought that?
0: um in terms of uh in terms of, like the racial tensions etc that were going on was there rioting around where your gym was at or it was just state friendly protesting and you didn't have to worry about stuff
1: like that no there's rioting, and the, like the building that i have got like spray painted on and i had posted about it And again you got different point of views there and you got people that are like uh you know that that revoli- revolutions be like that and it's just a Somebody was calling me a racist because I like, posted about spray paint on my building and, and not supporting uh, the movement. But for me, it's like I look at it as two different things. And I'm not even 100 percent sure that the spray paint had anything to do with the fucking protests. It was didn't say Black Lives Matter. It was just fucking spray paint. I think it was some dude's name. So I was just talking about being vandalized and I get turned into a racist. But, you know, like I said, it's like different points of views on it. And it, 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 it is what it is.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, it becomes like, yeah, you might not have said anything about the protest at all. You're just like, hey, I just noticed uh, my shit got vandalized. And then all yeah, of a sudden, it's much. all of a sudden you're a racist. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Hang on anyway, a second. Was, I'm not I'm not saying nothing about the protests.
1: It was like, yeah, yeah. They're like, boo-hoo, the white business owner. And I'm like, dude, like, you have no idea what I've done to get here. I've literally taken years off my life to build this business. And like, the It's not about, Racial injustices. This is all I'm talking about is fucking vandalism. You know.
0: Yeah, you try. It, yeah, it is what it is, man. It's strange times. Um. So, what are we looking at so far for like 2020? What are you What are you hoping the end of 2020 is going to look like in the future? Are Are we thinking, you know, expanding? Obviously, you're you're expanding on the gym, but are you like health wise, you want to get back on your feet, potentially return to competition or?
1: I wouldn't. I'm not putting a timeline on that, just because like I have no idea when I'll get a kidney. They say the average wait time's four years, so it might be a while, dude. Like at my end goal, like uh, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna make uh, plans for it, like it's just to be healthy, you know. Like right now, my goal is to get the transplant. And, like I have an idea in my head of what I'd like to do afterwards, but I don't know what's really possible and what's not. Like I know. I'm working out now and I'm maintaining a position like a, I feel okay. You know, like my strength's not great and I don't have a huge amount of energy, but like I'm able to lift, I'm able to do the compound motions, like rehabbing my legs been slower, but I attribute that to like less kidney function. So mm. it, it's definitely been a long road, but you know, I, I think for, for, me it's more been about focusing on my athletes that i'm coaching focusing on the gym and its growth and when my kidney comes and i'll make my some decisions for my my own future like ideally i would like to come back and do like 750 500 750 hit a five or a, a 2k total and just fade away man that'll be it just walk say i came back i hit a 2k total wouldn't be a pr but then then i'd be done well,
0: it's one of those. It's it's one of those fucking comebacks where it's like it's not even about the numbers anymore. It's about coming right.
1: back. Yeah, that's what a lot of guys have said to me. Just like, dude, it wouldn't matter if you hit two K or not. And I'm like, yeah, but that's just like my first goal ever. Powerlifting was two K. So if I end on two K, like I'm good with that.
0: It's like Rocky, um, and uh, I'm a huge Rocky fan, right? And then the last Rocky that he fights in, um, they're like, you. He, he the first Rocky he had a title fight. He fought the champ and he lost, but he's like, it's not the point. It's like you saying, it's not really, right. you know, it's it's not necessarily win or lose. I'm, I'm going to make a point here. I got, And then in the end, he's like, he had one more fight. And they're like, I don't know if you're going to win this. He's like, that's not, I'm going out the way I came in. You know, yeah, I'm going, I, I'm, I, I, ha- I have some goals here.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't need a PR. It's just like the fact that I didn't let like these setbacks defeat me, you know, like I yeah. I, I need to come back for me, not for anybody else.
0: And if you were always like 2K means you're strong, 2K means this to you, 2K means that to you, right. you leave on 2K. Yep. That's it.
1: Yep. You know, that exactly. means something
0: to you. That's what it's all about. Well, listen, exactly. man, look, at, I, I'm, I'm glad I got you on the podcast because I'd seen, you know, since 2017 when you were on, gone through like so much, man. If anybody could right. just do the, you know, have a pity party and, and throw the feet up, but you keep bouncing back and keep your feet, not only that, but grow. You know, Corona right. comes, you grow, you know, right. kidney failure, everything that comes your way and you're like time to pivot and, and expand onto something else that, you
1: know, yeah, it doesn't that, stop. That's life, man. You know, you, you adapt or die. So it's like you got to take what life throws at you. And adversity is nothing new to me, man. It's been, I've been going through it since I was a little kid. So this stuff that's like, if like what we're talking about enjoying the process if you if you just feel bad for yourself and like you look at it as a negative thing rather than an opportunity to learn and grow like you know you, you're heading into a place that's self-destructive anyway
0: life doesn't care you got one life doesn't care it goes by so if you're like oh it's so tough it's this it's that and you carry on like that wasting time and eventually it's over well that was your life then it was shitty i
1: guess uh, yeah dude like i don't i don't want to be in a negative space my life i like, have yeah. definitely been there man like i've definitely been there in like dark places and, and mentally like you know it, it's no way to live and you like I, I was dependent on drugs and alcohol for a while and it, it's just not the life I want for myself. So you got to make a decision to be happy. Like happiness is definitely a choice and you can either choose to like feel bad for yourself and why these things happen or you can choose to look at it as like, why did these things happen? And like, how can I learn from them? So yeah. for me, it, it's been a learning experience for sure. Did we cover some of that in the last
0: podcast years ago when you, when you talk about like growing up and then the, in the drugs and alcohol,
1: like was that, I don't, you know, like I was sponsored through uh, a supplement company for a long time. So I wasn't able to really speak freely about a lot of things. So like now being like a, you know, like I'm no longer sponsored. I don't really compete. So like I, I'm more open to talk about those things. So I don't, I don't think we did get into it. Do you mind right now? Do you got time to, to say? Yeah. I mean, like, what would you like to know? Uh, well, because you mentioned a couple of times
0: about how, Uh, growing up, you know, that some of you came through, it sounds like you you had to deal with some shit on the way up. And then, um,
1: you know, nothing other than my own bad choices, you know, like I I got into drugs at an early age. I started criminal activities at an early age. and I I paid the price for it. I was arrested 14 times in the course of two years and ended up going to jail and served two years of my life, missed out on like eighth grade and freshman year high school. Because I was in juvenile detention and then was placed into an outdoor therapeutic program, so when I graduated that, um, you know I was still doing drugs, but I just learned how to uh, operate more on a, on a level that allowed me to stay out of trouble so um I found football and sports and weightlifting, and that's how like that's when I really got my uh, affinity towards the weights and like learned about progression and things like that. And that's kind of what kept me on the course of like not doing the criminal shit anymore. So like,
0: when you're when you're that age though, when you're like that young and you do four, you get arrested fourteen times in two years, and you're into hard drugs that young, there had to be some kind of catalyst, no? Like. because most kids wouldn't have gone that route.
1: Yeah, dude, like, it's, I, I, you look back and, like, you know, I'm the youngest out of uh, six kids. Uh, you, you know, I, was, I was picked on a lot in the neighborhood. Like, we were a little bit different than the other people in the neighborhood. So, like, I, all my friends had older brothers. And, like, I, w- I would be hanging out at a friend's house. And one day we're cool. And then the next day, like, the older brother would pick on me because my family was different. How so? Were so like, they different, though? Um, like, like race for one, and different religion beliefs, and uh, it's just a lot of different variables with that, you know. Like we weren't the normal kids on the block, you know. It was like so. There weren't many white kids in the neighborhood that you grew up with. You no, know, it was it was mixed neighborhood, man. Like you're mm-hmm. gonna have uh, a a lot of different ethnicities but like the kids I hung out with are just like different you know mm-hmm. so like th- that was one part of it and the other part of it was just like it's something for me you know like I always dealt with anxiety and I never really knew about it and then it was like an opportunity for me to like kind of prove to myself I wasn't scared all the time so like I was able to like oh like the crazy kid that would do those crazy things like jumping off of a roof or like taking your bike off that were, or normal people would be like, I'm not going to do that. I was like the first person to raise my hand just to prove myself. So when, when dealing with a, a constant social group of people that needed you to prove yourself to like getting into position of like, we're doing drugs, you're accepted. I was, I just jumped right into that. Mm. You know, like it, if drugs would make me, socially acceptable to these people and then then I had like a built-in social group so
0: it's um yeah I mean equating it to I've seen it where nine people out of ten when they would fight Mike Tyson in his prime shelled up and they got beat up one time he hopped in over the guy Peter McNeely he was in over his head and when the bell rang and they thought he was the furthest in over his head bell rang and he fucking charged at Mike both hands swinging and the commentators were like, never seen this before. The one commentator is like, I think it's George Foreman. He's like, I have, that's how some yeah. people deal with fear. Yeah. You, you, you feel it. And you're like that your reaction is different than other people's. Other people are like, holy shit, that guy's crazy. Whereas when right. you feel it, you dive in and that is your reaction to come out swinging and be like, I, I'm, that's how I face it. It doesn't mean right. I'm not afraid. As a matter of fact, I'm fucking terrified. That's why I did that. And you're like, why am I doing this? I'm reckless. It's almost reckless. Right. You know, and, as
1: and, as a kid, you don't recognize those things. Right. As a kid, you don't recognize that you're doing it out of fear. You're just like you, you feel the need to want to fit in. Mm-hmm. So it was like, and like I said, man, I was like ten years old when I started smoking weed for the first time. Holy like, shit! And like, there's nothing about me that says moderation. You know, like I don't I don't do things tentatively. Like I jumped head first. So it was it was you know the smoking weed led to experimenting with other drugs it led to doing things to support those habits and it wasn't wasn't a good path for me so like getting in trouble was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because it allowed me to get removed from that situation and realize like you know like i was so so wanting to be accepted into a group that didn't want to accept me that i was able to i was doing these things and it made me realize like these people don't care about you you know like they're, they're you're using you for the same reason that you're using now
0: dude do you do you realize your story how similar your story is to garrett's when he talks about when he came yeah. on the podcast
1: that's one of talk- the reasons that's one of the reasons we've bonded like we were able to talk about these things And like, it's one of the things that brought us together was the fact that we both went through a lot of the similar stuff, and probably more so. Like, he's he's more willing to talk about the things than I am, just because like I'm just more of a private guy. But like, we 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 share a lot of things in common. Well,
0: even right up to not only just like as youth doing this, but even to the point where he had that self actual actualizing moment where he was at a house party and he was doing heroin. And he was like 16, went up, he felt like he was OD, ODing, went into the washroom, threw on the shower because his body was so unbelievably hot that he needed to cool down. He's like, oh my God, just nervous reaction. Passed out, smashed his head on the back of the tub and um, woke up the next day. And was, the house was, was like six o'clock PM and the house was full of people in the, ba- in, in the main floor partying. And then he woke up the next day like noon and barf, blood, vial all over his chest. His legs were completely clean because the water was hitting it all night. Right. Blood on, blood on the back of his head, and he, was, he woke up like he could have died, easy. He got up from there, pulled himself out of the tub, looked in the mirror and seen he was 6'1", 135 pounds, all of this all over his chest, blood, vile, uh, puke, just blood all over his head, concussed. And then he looked into the toilet, and people were going to the washer. And he was like, exactly that moment where you said you realized these people aren't my friends.
1: Yeah, they don't care. They didn't give a fuck. That's that lifestyle. That's that lifestyle, you know, and you don't don't really realize it while you're in it. And some people like Garrett hit that rock bottom, but like, that wasn't going to be me, man. I wasn't going to be able to realize it until I was removed from the situation. Well, so, thank
0: God it was then you. Yeah, some people get, some people goes like Garrett, some people say like you where you're forcefully removed and then while removed, you know, right. did, did someone talk to you? Do you have like an older, like, whether it's counselors or whatever, that like get in front of you and talk to you be like, listen, man, these people aren't your friends and you had some, maybe some mentors or, or like coaches. Dude, every, yeah,
1: like, every step of the way, somebody was there telling me that, but like, you're not going to listen, you know? And yeah. like every, I've had multiple people over multiple different situations like I was in and out of drug rehab I was in and out of like short like community service and getting arrested and dealing with cops and probation officers and things like that but it wasn't until three months into this program I'm sober now and totally off the of drugs not, not smoking cigarettes and then the, you know like getting mail and realizing the only people that are fucking even questioning where I am are my family And they're the ones that I've hurt the most over the years. They're the Mm. ones that I've missed my sister's high school graduation. And I missed my other sister going to college and I missed my brother's varsity year of playing football. And it was like all these things that kind of came to the realization of like, man, like you're spending all this time to try to be accepted to a group that doesn't want you and doesn't give a fuck about you. And you're pushing away the people that are so close to you. And Mm. like, at that time, like, dude, my dad wanted me to sit in prison. Like, he was, like, my dad was done with me. Like, I, I had no relationship with him. The only person that really was, like, in my corner fighting for me was my mom. And she was the one that was, like, trying to get me to to, to get better. She would come and see me on family days. And, like, I'm, I'm not saying my other family didn't care about me. But, you know, that was kind of off the point of no return. And they were willing to accept that. So it was like they were starting to cut off ties and I was only like 15 years old. So it was a scary moment for me and coming back to unable able to rebuild those relationships that made me that much closer to my mom. And I'm grateful for that. And that's why when I lost her in uh, 2012, it was like one of the hardest things I ever had to deal with just because she was always that rock for me.
0: It's weird that unconditional love. Like you, you, you say the word where it's like... I mean, I said it earlier in the podcast, but now it's a little more hitting home where it's like there's nothing you could do. there is nothing you could do to make this person give up whereas yeah, for yeah, some people
1: like, there is some, and some people aren't lucky enough to have that, you know, and like yeah. it's some people and it might be a different person in their life, but to me, man, like no no one ever is going to love you like your mother, you know like mm. she she took care of me when no one else would and it's um
0: yeah yeah for sure and they say you're not actually an adult until your mother passes away because now you're for real on your own up until then mom would do mom will fucking quit her job put her house up and live in a goddamn apartment to pay off whatever debt you had mom would mama bear would dad bear is different but mama yeah. bear, not always, I like, not always, man. There's some fathers who will fucking take a bullet. Yeah, I gotcha. no, I
1: get it, I get but,
0: it. But you know there is. Like, you're not an adult until that happens to you. Now you're like, shit's different now.
1: Yeah, and, like, to me, I, I was living in California, and, I, like, I moved out of my house when I was 17. So, like, it wasn't about my mom taking care of me as much as it was, like, that connection I had to somebody. Like, I had never, like, me and my mom were just, like, really close. Like, she was, like, my best friend. Like, we didn't you know like uh, i i never had a bunch of really close friends growing up like i said i struggled with that as a younger kid when i got in high school man like i just always did my own thing and like i had friends and i'm cool with people but like you know to me like you, you value relationships differently after you've been through a few things so like it was more about losing that person to me and just really feeling alone you know like really alone yeah. on, on on earth so it was it was hard but you know, like you, like you said, like it, you realize that you can have these relationships and have other things that, that really bring you closer to people later in life. And it puts things in perspective as far as like what you really want out of people, you know?
0: On the flip side, did it make it um, when certain family members you saw, like certain people could have a limit with me as a child, formative years, that's gotta be a little rattling where it's like, you would hope there's like nothing I could do. Whereas if some people you felt like, man, there's does that – do you carry with that sometimes later on in relationships too where you're like
1: – you know. Maybe a little bit. Like, I mean, I'm not close to anybody in my family. Like, I talk to – and, like, I, like we all love and support each other. And, like, I feel like if I really needed them, they would be here. But, like, I don't talk to them weekly. I don't – like, sometimes I don't talk to them monthly. Like, I got a brother I probably talk to on Christmas. That's it. He's only mm-hmm. a year older than me. So, like, you would think you would think we'd be really close, but we just never bonded, you know? And, like, it's just, I think, like, part of it is me and, like, the way that I am with people. And, like, I choose to get close to certain people and other people I just keep it pretty casual with. But, like, the people I do choose to get close with, like, they're there for life, you know? Like, I'm not that dude that's just going to fall off. Like, so I'm just kind of choosy on who I spend time with.
0: Cause you see both sides, man. That's it like you, you kind of, um, that's why, uh, I think the more people, the more contact you have with different people, the more it's hard to finesse someone to finesse the way into your life when they make big promises, like you said, where some people come around making big promises. You might look at them like, all right, cool. And they're like, uh, they might get a vibe or they're like, Steve's not biting on everything I'm saying. And it's like, well, if, right. if I'm not biting on everything you're saying, it's because you're not the first guy to come around with some promises. You're not the first guy to open up to me and be like, hey, man, I got your back. It's like, all yeah. right, we'll see. Time it's, tells it, though, it, it, right? It, it, Let's it's go like through some
1: a, shit. And it's not like I'm not willing to give people opportunities. It's just like, you know, if you've been disappointed enough times or been through enough things. Like, you start to realize you don't need a lot, you know, like you right. don't it need a right. lot of people. So, I mean, I think that's more what it is.
0: I don't need a certain number of people. I just need a number of people. I'm certain of.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's a good
0: one. Um. So, Garrett, when Garrett was a teenager, reaching out to you, and you didn't tell this story before. And nobody knew these stories like out in the open, social media, and you didn't even know Garrett. And Garrett was a teenager, literally coming off a of heroin, going through all those trials, and he just happened by fate to be looking up to you, having no right. idea your background. Right. That's fucking mid. That is like, isn't it weird to think like of all the people he chose? He didn't choose some dude who was just middle-class going through his life and knew nothing about Gary might go through. He had no idea the guy he chose to look up to and was like, I want to fucking reach out to this guy and maybe reach out to him in real life someday, who knows? And then start becoming a business partner. He had no idea you, everything, the backgrounds would link up like that.
1: Well, that's one of the things we had talked about. And, like, to be fair, man, I don't think I was the only guy. Like, I think Garrett's just, like, a really fucking energetic dude. And he, like, <laughs> you were the really, only like,
0: one. No, yeah. no, you were the only one, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, don't lie to me. I wasn't the only guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think that uh, when when we did meet and, like, we had talked, because, like, Garrett, like, Garrett's strongly opinionated, you know, and he's just like, he doesn't like a lot of the guys he meets, you know. Like, where, to me, like, I, I, I – take everybody at surface level but dude I get along with everybody man I'm pretty mellow dude like I'm not I'm not trying to like come at you with my opinions on life or like forcefully take what I think things what you should be doing with your life where Garrett's very passionate about things and like can't shut up so like he needs to express those things so he actually rubs people the wrong way and they rub him the wrong way so he when me and him Matt he's like you're like one of the few people I've met that I really looked up to that I actually like after talking to them for a while. like, well, you know, I guess that's a good thing. But <laughs> it's now funny. I am start with you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the beginning of an amazing movie, my friend. Listen, yeah. well, I, I took it up a lot of your time. I appreciate it. I'm glad we actually had time to, like, double
1: back into your story a little deeper um yeah, there's a lot of layers to it, I think one hundred percent now getting more comfortable with like you know you're you're always careful how you present yourself, especially with social media, and I've always been a bit reserved with it and and with reason, but like you know i i I think now there's certain things that are more willing to talk about and I think it is important to get those things out there
0: well like i like we just said, you don't know who's following you, looking up to you, who might be a teenage kid and this is some shit that he needs to hear. If he's going through, you know, whatever they're going through and they're like, they hear you talking about it, like these guys don't care about you, man. Like when right. you're, if you're doing this for those reasons, that's not love, bro, no. or, or whatever. Some, you don't realize how much some people need to hear it. And nine times out of 10, like you had already said that they have other people in life telling them and they're not fucking listening. But if they look up to you already, you got their rear. You hop on a podcast and to you, it's just, I'm just telling my story. I'm not trying to convince nobody. You hop on a podcast and you talk like this, you don't, you, thousands of people around the world listen to this. You don't know who's going to listen to it. Even if like a couple dozen are like, Oh shit. Have some self, yeah. some realization yeah, moments.
1: It gl- I mean, I'm glad to get it to help whoever needs it. So
0: there it is, man. Listen, um, I-, I wish the best of you. Keep in touch. Uh, I love Absolutely. to have you on again. Thank you for your time. For anyone who wants to follow you, real quick, or for training, personal training, and if you do anything online, or just whatever contact information you want to give out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could uh, uh, follow follow the gym at Indy City Barbell and come see like the athletes we got over there. We do uh, templates as well for those that want to power lift and get strong. Like the athletes we got, you can join in on their training. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. It's PT Fitness 500. And uh, you probably won't see a lot of training highlights these days. But if you're interested in my story to learn more, you can follow me there.
0: That's a fucking hell of a story, my friend. Listen, thank you for your time. And we'll keep in touch. Good luck, buddy.
1: All right, bro. Appreciate it.
0: See you, man.